Yeah, we're going to stay in Luke for the most part tonight. We're just going to kind of let Luke's, uh, Luke's version of the crucifixion sort of speak to us uh, as, we, as we kind of wander through it. And we're just going to travel through the scriptures together. I will give you some comments and some uh, cultural things along the way. And, uh, you know, we've gathered here tonight to remember, remember the cross. This is, this is what they call Good Friday. It wasn't good for him because of the beating he took, but it was good for him and for us in the fact that now man is reconciled with God. You know, and, and I just want you to kind of, as we, as we travel through this, and I will be descriptive. I will be talking about the cross and the crucifixion and what it entails. And so if you need tissues or you're a crier, go get them because you, you just might need them tonight. Um, and, you know, I, I want you to consider something. He had said, after Peter had cut off Malchus's ear, he had made a statement to Peter. And it's recorded for us in Matthew chapter 26, verse 53. He said, I can pray to my father. And he would provide me with more than 12 legions of angels. You know, so it shows that everything he endures is willing. You know, and as he went to the cross, I wonder how long it would take for an ordinary man that had the power to end the suffering that he endured, how long would it be before he said, that's it, call the angels, and started wiping people out. But that would have cost our relationship with him. And he didn't do that. He had the power to call more than 12 legions of angels. Did you ever watch The Passion of the Christ? Remember when he was on the cross? There was a part of me that just, come on, I know he's going to come down. I know he's going to, you know, as Americans, we like these movies to end well. We like these movies to come, the hero is going to come down. He's going to call the angels. He's going to wipe everybody out. But he doesn't do that. So if you would just pick up with me. We're going to... uh, Pick up in, uh, in verse 47. At this point in the scripture, Jesus is in the Garden of Gethsemane. He's been praying. He's been sweating blood. He asks the Father, Father, if there be any other way. Is there any other way for me to redeem mankind? If there be any other way. When people tell you there's many ways to God, if there were, he would not have had to endure the punishment that we're going to see tonight. Is there any other way? Let this cup pass me by. But then he settles, nevertheless, not my will, but your will be done. And as he's preparing to be deceived, we pick it up in verse 47 of chapter 22 in the book of Luke. And while he was speaking, behold, a multitude, and he who was called Judas, one of the twelve, went before them, and they drew near to Jesus to kiss him. But Jesus said to him, Judas, are you betraying the Son of Man with a kiss? When those around him saw what was going to happen, they said to him, Lord, shall we strike with the sword? And one of them, and we know this is Peter, one of them struck the servant of the high priest and cut off his right ear. But Jesus answered and said, permit even this. And he touched his ear and he healed him. I want you to notice something, and if you're taking notes, you can jot it down. The last miracle that Jesus did was healing a mistake of one of his disciples. Peter, I'll never leave you. I'll never walk away from you. If everybody else leaves, I'll be there. He's going to fight to the very end, and he pulls out his sword, and he cuts off Malchus's ear, the servant of the high priest. And what does Jesus say? Permit even this. And that's at the point where he would have said, listen, Peter... I can call down more than 12 legions of angels. I can call down 
I can call, talk, pray to my father more than 12 legions of angels. Permit this. And then he picks up the ear and he heals it. And he puts it back on. Right there, don't you think that would have been enough where they would have said, okay, we're good, you're the Messiah? But they don't. They don't. He, that's the last miracle he does is fixing a mistake of one of his apostles. I like that because he does the same thing for us. But we read on. Then Jesus said to the chief priests, captains in the temple, and the elders who had come to him, Have you come out as against a robber with swords and clubs? When I was with you daily in the temple, you did not try to seize me. But this is your hour and the power of darkness. Remember, that, remember one of the other Gospels tell us when he first spoke to them, they all fell over. They get back up. And he says, why are you coming out after me with clubs? What am I, some kind of robber or some kind of criminal? I spoke in the temple all the time. I was there teaching among the people. Now you're coming after me with clubs like, like I'm some kind of criminal? But it's your hour. This is your time and the power of darkness. He just told them that the power of darkness is at work here. He just healed an ear. They just fell over and he says, now you're being influenced by the power of darkness. The power of darkness is at work. Verse 54, having arrested him, they led him and they brought him into the high priest's house, still the middle of the night. But Peter followed at a distance and then when they had kindled a fire in the midst of the courtyard and they sat down together, Peter sat among them. And a certain servant girl, seeing him as he sat by the fire, looked intently at him and said, this man was also with him, meaning Jesus. But he denied it. He denied him, saying, woman, I do not know him. And after a little while, another saw him and said, you also are of them. But Peter said, man, I am not. Then after about an hour had passed, another confidently affirmed, saying, Surely this fellow also was with him, for he is a Galilean. Peter said, Man, I do not know what you are saying. Immediately, while he was still speaking, the rooster crowed, and the Lord turned and looked at Peter. I want you you guys know the story. You've heard it before. This is Peter's denial. This is Jesus told him it was going to happen. Peter, before the rooster crows three times, you're going to deny me. I will not. I will not, Lord. I'll die for you. And here it's taking place. As they move, as, he, as Jesus is taken into custody, he's moved to the high priest's house. As he's there in the courtyard, Peter's following at a distance. Not a good place to follow the Lord. You always want to follow close by. But Peter's, is, Peter's following at a distance. And they, be, they begin to question him. You're one of them. You're part of him. You know him. I don't know him. I don't know him. No, I'm not. I don't know who he is. And then all of a sudden the rooster crows and Luke records it for us. Jesus was being taken out and looked at him. What do you think the look was? Do you think it was a look of I told you so? No. I think it was a look of forgiveness. I think it was a look of Jesus just looked and said, it's okay, Peter. It's okay. That's what Peter, and we read Peter weeps bitterly. Peter turned, and the Lord turned and looked at Peter. Peter remembered the word of the Lord, how he had said to him, before the rooster crows, you will deny me three times. Peter went out and he wept bitterly. He wept bitterly because I think the look that Jesus looked at him with, I think it was this look of love, this look of forgiveness. Like, it's okay, Peter. And Peter's thinking, I blew it. I cut off the guy's ear. Now I denied knowing him. I'm not worthy to even be part of anything the Lord's doing. Now we know that he would be a rock in the starting of the early church. 
He'd be a pillar in the church. Jesus is now in custody. The high priests, verse 63, now the men who held Jesus mocked him and they beat him. Having blindfolded him, they struck him on the face and asked him, saying, Prophesy, who is the one who struck you? And many other things they blasphemously spoke against him. They mocked him. They blindfolded him. They struck him. They hit him. They blindfolded him and then they hit him and said, Come on, you're a prophet. You're a prophet. Tell us who hit you. He could do that. He would have known who hit him. Every, every hit, every spit, he knew exactly where it came from. And he could have called him by name at any moment and said, Simon, stop it. Or Judah, stop it. Or whatever the name was. Whatever it was, he could have, he could have called it out just like that. But he doesn't. He stays quiet. Verse 66, as soon as it was day, the elders of the people, both the chief priests and the scribes, came together and they led him into their council. They're taking him into the council of the Sanhedrin. They had to wait till daytime. It was illegal to try somebody at night, even though they had done that in, in, the, in the high priest's house, because that's where they had convicted him of blasphemy. They take him now here before the Sanhedrin. I'm sorry, they're going to convict him of blasphemy here in front of the Sanhedrin, but it had to be daylight. So they gather the Sanhedrin. It was 71 members. They gather him together, and they ask him a question in verse 67. If you were, they, they, they tell him, they make a statement to him. If you are the Christ, tell us. But he said to them, if I tell you, you will by no means believe me. And if I also ask you, you will by no means answer me or let me go. But here and after the Son of Man will sit on the right hand of the power of God. Then they all said to him, are you then the Son of God? So he said to them, you rightly say, I am. And they say, what further testimony do we need? For we have heard it ourselves from his own mouth. Mark 14 tells us, Mark 14 verse 64 says, they declared blasphemy. They tore their clothes. He's claiming to be the son of God. He's committing blasphemy. It's only blasphemy if it's not true. If it's true, it's not blasphemy at all. People will often say, Jesus never claimed to be God. He never claimed to be God. He does right here. You say, wait a minute, Rob. He claims to be the Son of God. Yeah, he does. But look what he says. Here and after, the Son of Man will sit on the right hand of the power of God. That's where you'll see me the next time, essentially, is what he's saying. They, are you then the Son of God? Are you the Messiah? Are you the Christ? Are you the ones we're waiting for? And he says, you rightly say that I am. Remember what? Moses was told by God at the burning bush. Lord, Lord Moses says, Lord, who, who do I tell him sent me? Tell him I am sent me. Who's I am? It's God. I am. I am everything that you need. Tell him I am sent me. And look what Jesus says here. For you rightly say that I am. I am. They declare blasphemy. They want to sentence him to death, but they don't have the ability to do so. They need the Roman government to get involved. So here's what they do. They turn him over to Pilate. Verse chapter 23, then the whole multitude of them arose. They led him to Pilate. They began to accuse him. They bring him to Pilate. They're going to accuse him. Look at, the, look at what they charge him with. We found this fellow perverting the nation and forbidding to pay taxes to Caesar, saying that he himself is Christ the king. That's not what they convicted him on in the, in the Sanhedrin. They convicted him on blasphemy. But the problem is the Roman government doesn't really care about blasphemy. 
So they've got to come up with something else. So we know how we can get Pilate upset. We'll tell him. We'll tell him that he, he's telling people not to pay taxes. Well, we learned last night that wasn't true. What did he say? And whose image is on a denarii? It's Caesar's image. Well, render unto Caesar what's Caesar's, but render unto God what's God's. They make it a complete lie. And they also say he says he's, he's a king. That would upset the Roman government too. We don't want another king. and We don't want another king. So we've, we've got him. We want to sentence him to death. Certainly these trumped up charges will cause him to receive a death sentence. Pilate, in verse 3, says, Are you the king of the Jews? And he answered and says, said, It is as you say. So Pilate said to the chief priests and the crowd, I find no fault in this man. Now just to kind of, for those that were here last night, just to kind of refresh you, we were talking about how Jesus represents the Passover lamb. He's, he's our Passover lamb. And we talked about how the Passover lamb had to be inspected, had to be found without spot, without blemish. After he's taken into custody, he's again inspected by the high priests, by Caiaphas, by Ananias. And what do they find him guilty of? Blasphemy. But if it's truthful, he's not really guilty of it. So again, he passes their test. The only thing they can find on him is blasphemy. Now they bring him before Pilate. They charge him with telling people not to pay taxes and that he's a king. And Pilate... The Gentile says, I find no fault in him. I find no fault in this man. Verse 5, their response to the Jews, but they were more fierce, saying he stirs up the people, teaching throughout all Judea, beginning from Galilee to this place. Now let me explain something to you. I don't think this is the same group of people that, was, that, that on Palm Sunday were screaming Hosanna. This is a different group of people. The people that were singing Hosanna, save now, those were the ordinary people. Those were, those were not the religious leaders, the Pharisees, the Sadducees, the Herodians. Um, this, this group of people is coming, stemming out of the Sanhedrin. They're coming before Pilate. They're trying to get their agenda passed. The people want to see Jesus raised up into the position of king because of what he's doing for them. He's been healing them in the temple. Now, but, but the Pharisees don't like it. He's driven out the money changers. He's, he's upsetting their financial system. He's cost, costing them money, essentially. He's making them look bad in front of the people. Their pride is being affected. They don't like what he's doing. So they bring him to Pilate. Pilate inspects him, listens. I find no fault in this man. But they, are, but they were more fierce, saying he stirs up the people, teaching throughout all Judea, beginning from Galilee to this place. Galilee was a region where a lot of the rebellions would, would begin. He, no, 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 you have to do something with him. He's a, he's a bad man. He stirs up the people, starting in Galilee. Galilee? Pilate says, Galilee? Wait a minute, that's not my jurisdiction. I can take care of this. I can kick the can down the road a little bit. I can pass this on to somebody else. Herod's here in town. He's in charge of Galilee. Let's send him over to Herod. Verse 6. When Pilate heard of Galilee, he asked if the man were a Galilean. As soon as he knew that he belonged to Herod's jurisdiction, he sent him to Herod, who was also in Jerusalem at that time. Now when Herod saw Jesus, he was exceedingly glad, for he had desired for a long time to see him, because he had heard many things about him, and he'd hoped to see some miracle done by him. Then he questioned him with many words, but he answered him nothing. Jesus didn't say a word. Herod was excited. Cool. I've heard a lot about Jesus. I want to see something cool done. Heal somebody. Fix somebody. Do, do, do a magic show for me. 
Not interested in believing, not interested in truth, interested in looking at the signs, looking at seeing the miraculous. Show me something cool, and then maybe I'll believe. No, the faith has to come first. I have to believe first, and then I can begin to see the cool things of the Lord unfold. But there's people like that today. They just want to see, the, they just want to see what's going on. There's churches built around the show. That's what brings people in. Show me the next cool thing. Show me the next attraction. Show me the next really, really cool thing. Give me the next testimony. Give me the next big thing. I just want to, I just want to see the show. No, no, no. The show needs to happen inside of us. And it starts with our faith in Christ. Not with us wanting to look upon, it's cool to watch what God's doing in somebody else's life, but what's he doing in your life? So Jesus doesn't say a word. He says in verse 9, he answered him nothing. And the chief priests and the scribes stood and vehemently, vigorously, forcefully, passionately accused him. Then Herod with his men of war, they treated him with contempt. They mocked him. They arrayed him in a gorgeous robe and they sent him back to Pilate. Let's have some fun with Jesus. He's the king. Let's dress him like a king. We'll put him in a, in a robe. We're going to mock him. We're going to make fun of him. We're going to spit on him. We're going to just, we're going to have a good time. Isn't that sad? Isn't that sad that people act that way today? Kids do that. To the, making fun of other kids in school. Mock them. Make fun of them. Here's our Savior. Never done anything wrong except help people, heal people, encourage people, share the word of the Lord with people. And now he's being mocked. He's being made fun of. They're placing on him a robe. You're the king. You're the king. Little do they know he's got far more power than they do. And he doesn't say a word. Led silently as a lamb to the slaughter. Doesn't say a word. Herod sends him back. That very day in verse 12, Pilate and Herod became friends with each other for previously they had enmity with one another. Then Pilate, he's got the problem back on his hands. Now what do I do with him? He called together the chief priests, the rulers, and the people. Verse 14, he said to them, You've brought this man to me as one who misleads the people. And indeed, having, having examined him in your presence... I find no fault in this man concerning those things of which you accuse him. Again, no fault found. No spot, no blemish found in our Passover lamb. No, neither did Herod. For I, I sent you back to him. And indeed, nothing deserving of death has been done by him. I will therefore chastise him and release him, for it was necessary for him to release one of them at the feast. And they all cried out, saying, Away with this man and release to us Barabbas, who has been thrown into prison for a certain rebellion made in the city and for murder. Pilate, there wishing to release Jesus, again called out to them, but they shouted, saying, Crucify him, crucify him. And he said to them the third time, Why? What evil has he done? I have found no reason for death in him. I will go therefore, chastise him, and let him go. But they were insistent, demanding with loud voices that he be crucified. And the voices of these men and of the chief priests prevailed. So Pilate gave sentence that it should be as they requested. 
And he released to them one of the requested for who the rebellion and the murder had been thrown into prison. But he delivered Jesus to their will. He delivered Jesus to their will. It's at this point Jesus is scourged. You guys know what a scourging is? A scourging is a Roman way of torture. A scourging is a Roman way of extracting a confession from a criminal. A scourging is a way of beating somebody. Every prisoner before they were crucified was scourged. It was a way of breaking them down. It was a way of punishing them. What they would do is they would take their arms and they would tie them together and they would tie them to a pole. So their back would be open. Their legs would be exposed. And they would begin to beat them. And after beating them for a while with sticks and leaving welts on their back, they would then switch to what's called a cat of nine tails. And what it was, it was a leather, it was a handle, a wooden handle with leather strips on it. And embedded in the strips were pieces of glass, pieces of bone, pieces of lead, uh, pieces of uh, shards, rocks, things like that. And they wanted to extract confessions from these individuals. Now, if you were a Roman citizen, it was against the law for you to ever be scourged or crucified. So what they did is they chained up, they tied up our Savior by His hands, and they began to try to get a confession out of Him. And they would take this cat of nine tails and they would slap it onto His back. And it would dig into the flesh. And then they would wait. Because that was the time where the prisoner would confess. And now, depending on how they pulled it out, would depend on the injury inflicted. If they pulled it down, it would cut. If they just pulled it straight out, it wasn't too bad. What could Jesus confess? The average person, when they began to be scourged, would begin to confess everything. And they would begin to confess anything. Just to make the pain stop. Just to make it end. And if they confessed, if they were open and they were honest and the Romans believed them, they would stop the scourging. Jesus couldn't say a word. He couldn't even make something up because it would be a lie and that would be a sin. Instead, he had to take the, the beating. He had to take the scourging. There was two men, one on either side. They would take turns hitting him, beating him with the cat of nine tails, ripping his flesh off of his back. And there was a third that would stand by. And it was his job to make sure that he didn't die. Make sure the prisoner didn't die during the scourging. They didn't want him to die during the scourging. They wanted him to suffer during the scourging. It was a a time to inflict pain. It was a time where we'd hear the confessions of everything they've ever done wrong. They'd start shouting things out. Jesus didn't say a word. We're told 40 lashes, 40 scourgings, to where he was unrecognizable. And then we're told in the scriptures, they made fun of him. They're mocking him. Some king you are. Some king you are. After the scourging, verse 26, 
Now as they led him away, they laid hold of a certain man, Simon a Cyrenian, who was coming from the country. And on him they laid the cross that he might bear it after Jesus. He was so badly beaten he wasn't able to take his own cross. Let me explain to you what they did. It wasn't the whole cross. It was typically just the cross beam. The, 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 the vertical post was already up to where it would be. They would strap their hands to the cross beam that they were going to be crucified on. And they would have a sign, either wearing their sign of their crime, of whatever they did, it was either somebody else carrying it with them. They would mark, march them through the town. Typically, they were naked when they were doing it. How humiliating. Some suggest in Christ's case, they covered him back with the robe. What do you think that would feel like on an open wound in flesh? Simon has given his cross because Jesus is badly beaten. He can't carry it. Great multitude of the people followed him and the women who also mourned and they lamented him. But Jesus turned to them and said, Daughters of Jerusalem, don't weep for me, but weep for yourselves and for your children. For indeed the days are coming in which they will say, Blessed are the barren wombs that never bore and the breasts which never nursed. Then they will begin to say to the mountains, Fall on us and to the hills, cover us. For if they do these things in the green wood, what will they be done in the dry? He's speaking about the destruction of Jerusalem there. Don't weep for me. Your day's coming. Just less than 40 years, Jerusalem's going to be destroyed. There were also two other criminals led with him to be put to death. And when they had come to the place called Calvary, there they crucified him and the criminals, one on the right hand and the other on the left. Crucified him. Crucifixion, the Romans didn't invent it, but it's been said they perfected it. It was meant to be a slow, torturous death. Sometimes, the longest one on record, I believe, was 13 days. You would hang on the cross. Jesus would only be there six hours. Only six hours. It's a long time. They would bring him up on top and they would take his hands and they would lay him out on that cross beam and they would, his hands were, likely would have already been strapped to it. They would put that nail First one, then the other. No pain medication. Nothing. And then they would take his feet, put him up on the cross beam. They would take his feet and they would nail it into that vertical beam, one on top of the other. Can you imagine what the nail would feel like as it penetrated your skin? And I'm sure it wasn't a nice, clean nail, a nice, sharp nail. It was a jagged iron nail. They're hanging him on the cross. Look what his heart says. Verse 34. Jesus said, Father, forgive them, for they know not what they do. Do you see where his heart is? Father, forgive them, for they know not what they do. Look where they're at. They divided his garments and they cast lots. People stood looking on, but even the rulers with them sneered, saying, He saved others. Let him save himself. If he is the Christ, the chosen Son of God, they're still making fun of him. Come on, save yourself. Soldiers also mocked him, coming and offering him sour wine, saying, if you're the king of the Jews, save yourself. An inscription also was written over him in letters of Greek, Latin, and Hebrew. This is the king of the Jews. Jesus also in other gospels would say the Jesus of Nazareth. That was his crime. That's the sign that he carried. The other criminals would carry murder. Whatever it was they did wrong. His sign. This is, what I'm, this is why I'm being crucified. Because I'm the king of the Jews. 
I like this next part. Before we go there to the next part, I can't pass, Father, forgive them for they know not what they do. Look at that heart. That's a heart that I want. I want to have that heart. When somebody wrongs me, when somebody offends me, when somebody says something sarcastic, when somebody does something, I don't want to be one that lashes out. They're putting nails in his hands. They've beaten him. And he still says, Father, forgive them for they know not what they do. They don't understand, Lord, forgive them. I want to be more like that. How about you? Verse 39, then one of the criminals who were hanged blasphemed him, saying, if you are the Christ, save yourself. One of the criminals. They're making fun of him too. They're dying next to him and they're making fun of him. Talk about being the butt of all jokes. You're dying on a cross next to him and here you are making fun of him. But, verse 40, the other answering rebuked him, saying, do, not even, do you not even fear God? seeing you are under the same condemnation? And we indeed justly, for we receive the due reward of our deeds. But this man has done nothing wrong. He's a pure and spotless lamb. Then he said to Jesus, Lord, remember me when you come into your kingdom. And Jesus said to him, Assuredly, I say to you today, you will be with me in paradise. Matthew chapter 27 records the same message for us. Actually, I take that back. Matthew chapter 27 tells us that at the beginning of this, both criminals were mocking him. Both criminals were making fun of him. It's in verse 44 of Matthew chapter 27. They started out with both criminals making fun of him. Somewhere along the line, one of them had a change of heart and said, Lord, will you remember me when you come into your kingdom? And what did Jesus say? Today you will be with me in paradise. That's salvation. Today you will be with me. You don't have to, oh, wait, wait, no, no, we've got to get down and get baptized. No, no, wait, we got to go, wait, 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 you, you got to come down and say the sinner's prayer. No, wait, you've got to come down and do this thing. No, he said, today you will be with me in paradise. Why? Because he recognized who Jesus was. Will you remember me when you come into your kingdom? He's recognizing that he's the Messiah. It's amazing that on the cross, he's saving people. As he's dying, as he's suffering, he's still speaking words of forgiveness, and he's still speaking words of salvation. There is no other religion that has anybody like that. Now, I have to share something with you. And I want you to follow me on this because I think it's important we understand. Can you imagine with me your arms tied out, extended, and your body hanging the weight of your body? The only thing to support you is a nail in your feet. Can you imagine the pain that would endure? Sometimes they would put a little block underneath of the feet to nail it into, and it would also give the prisoner an opportunity to do something. Because what would take place is as you hung like this, 
Do you really know what's, do you know what kills you? You suffocate. You begin to suffocate because your body, your arms can only hold up so much of your weight. As the body weight begins to fall, the muscles begin to fatigue, the muscles begin to cramp, and suffocation begins to set in. The only way that you can get a breath if you're hanging on a cross is to use your feet to push you upwards, to relieve the pressure on your chest as it's hanging down. So you then push your feet into the nail that's holding them to drive your body upwards, and you can take a breath, and then as you exhale, you go back down. But your body can only do that for so long. It can only last so long. Because every breath, remember the back. Every time the back slides up enough to get a breath, it's rubbing on the wooden splintered cross. As he's enduring this pain, he's speaking words of salvation. Today you will be with me in paradise over and over again, stretched out there, arms wide open, breathing heavily, pushing himself up, the pain in his foot, the pain in his back, the pain in his hands, and no doubt the pain in his heart. Verse 46, or 44. Now it was about the sixth hour and there was darkness over all the earth until the ninth hour. The sun was darkened, and the veil of the temple was torn in two. Darkness for three hours. There's no solar eclipse in history that's ever lasted for three hours. It's not a solar eclipse like some would suggest. It's never happened. It never, they've never had one last. They were near. Everything were close to three hours. There was darkness in the Passover also, wasn't there? Three days. Three hours. See the parallel? The temple, the, the veil was torn on the temple completely. This is the time of Passover. This is the time where they're sacrificing. This is the time where they're, 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 they're we're told, uh, Josephus tells us, at this time of year, at the time of Christ, they sacrificed over 250,000 lambs in the temple. They're getting them ready for the Passover. Now the temple, the veil was important because the veil separated two very important rooms. It separated the Holy of Holies, which contained the Ark of the Covenant, from the holy place. So you had two rooms separated by this veil. This veil was important because it, not anybody could go into the Holy of Holies. Only the high priest once a year on the Day of Atonement not on Passover, but on the Day of Atonement, could pass into the Holy of Holies to sprinkle blood of the bull on the mercy seat. But all of a sudden, at the death of Christ on the cross, the temple veil is ripped. We're told in one of the other Gospels it was ripped from top to bottom. The temple veil separated God's presence and man. Man could not enter into the Holy of Holies because of sin. Because of sin. All of a sudden at the death of Christ, the Holy of Holies is now standing wide open and exposed. Signifying that man is no longer separate from God. Signifying that the penalty is paid. 
The price has been accepted by God. God says, no longer am I dwelling in a tabernacle or a temple. Anybody has access to me. Hebrews would say, come boldly in the throne room of God because of the blood of Christ, not because of who we are. This is incredible. You know what, they, you know what the Jewish people did? They sewed it back together and pretended it never happened. I'm not kidding you. Now, history tells us this was thick. Some suggest four inches of cloth. Four inches of cloth. Now, you think about paper. You rip two pieces of paper, pretty easy, right? How about two pieces? How about 50 pieces? How about a ream of 250 pieces of paper that's maybe two inches thick? Can you rip it? What if you had four inches of cloth? Only by the hand of God could it be torn. Man's not strong enough to rip four inches of cloth together. God opens it up as he says to the whole world, here I am. Here I am. I'm available. Now I need to share something with you. Several years ago, they had, a, they had an exhibit called the Cradle of Christianity. And they had artifacts, uh, part of the Dead Sea Scrolls, and it was traveling around the country, and they had a lot of different artifacts. And uh, I went, it was in Fort Lauderdale, and I happened, were we still down there at the time? I think we still lived down there at the time. And I happened to go down there. Did you go with me or no? You weren't able to, I think we had little kids. One of the children was real young. And I went down by myself one night. You were young. Maybe it was that long ago, huh? And uh, they had a man speaking. He was a Jewish historian, and he was from Calvary Chapel, Fort Lauderdale. And he was talking about this. And what he did is, you know, the, the, the cradle of Christianity, these artifacts were basically, they were Jewish artifacts, but he wanted to interject the Christianity involved with them. So he began to explain to us, and he took us to this one particular artifact. And it was this corner of stone. It was this big block of stone, and it was in, Hebrew was, in script, was in, engraved on it. And it was called, and it was, he, he said, this is from the corner of the temple that was known as the trumpeting place. It was the trumpeting place. It's where the priests would blow the trumpets to signify the beginning of a Sabbath day or the beginning of a holy day or the beginning of something. And he suggested that this is the corner that the priest would stand on the day of Passover to signify that it was time to begin killing the Passover lambs. At the very time it would happen, a priest or whoever it was that was blowing the trumpet would stand at the trumpeting place he would then blow the shofar, blow the trumpet, signifying it's now time to begin. And they suggest, he suggested that at that very moment is when Christ died, is when Christ crucified. At that very moment. And here I am standing looking at it, this piece of rock, thinking, wow, this is the very piece of history where somebody stood, blew a trumpet and said, now is the time and Christ, and Christ said this. When he cried out with a loud voice, he said, Father, into your hands I commit my spirit. Having said this, he breathed his last. He breathed his last. John tells us, he said, it is finished. It's finished. The work is done. The work is over when we talk about salvation by grace, it is finished. It's finished, he says. I want you to reflect upon that. It's finished. There's nothing for me to add. All I can do is remember the torture, the beating, 
Remember when they came around to break the legs? You know why they broke the legs? So they could stop pushing themselves up and gasping for air. But they came to Christ and he was already dead. They thrust a spear into him and out came blood and water. It is finished. As they heard about his death, told John was there, as they watched it, all of their hope, all of their dreams, everything they had laid out in front, all of their plans are gone. They're stuck. The last three years they had spent following Jesus. It's at that point they became really useful to him. Because it wasn't their plans that he was interested in. It was his plans. It was his way. He was going to build the church far greater than building a nation. He was going to build a group of people centered around him that would represent him to the rest of the world. At the cross, where his love ran red and our sin was washed white. That's the gospel. That's the good news. His love ran red. Our sin was washed away. Father, we can't say thank you enough. It's good we're here to reflect on this. It's good we're here to remember. In Jesus' name, amen.